Tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590, and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, last week uh, we had the great pleasure of chatting with Arash Madani, and it was when Team Canada had wrapped up a big time. Davis Cup tie victory and now we go over to the women's side in Feb Cup and Team Canada is doing it yet again the women sweeping the Netherlands 3-0 in their Fed Cup tie that means they are advancing through to the playoffs and they will compete for a spot in the world group in April uh, Mike I, I don't know what it is but uh, our Canadian tennis seems to love the team environment yeah it's been a great start for both the women and the men in international competition and in both cases against opponents that I thought were going to give us more trouble than, uh, than they did perhaps. I mean, it was a, it was a close one, of course, with, uh, with Slovakia for the, and Felix came in in great in that clutch uh, decisive victory. And then uh, obviously the Netherlands, I thought also just by virtue of, of rankings, aside from Bianca Andreescu ranked in the top 100, I thought that they had a little bit more depth, but we ran away with it three nothing and then got a, a fourth victory that was meaningless, but uh, ultimately nice to see uh, Dabrowski and Marino get some action and, and feel like part of the team as well. But for Tennis Canada and Canadian tennis fans, it's really encouraging to see the progress that, that both sides are making. Uh, you know, the men obviously at the, the upper level and the women in that world group too, but uh, they'll now get the chance to, to compete to, to move up as well. And, and just to see that forward progress and the depth that we're sort of noticing on both sides that we haven't had in the past, uh, especially, uh, you know, simultaneously. Yeah, and we've spoken about the value of depth and in Canada's case in Davis Cup against Slovakia, Milos Raonic wasn't there. And then the case here for Team Canada in Fed Cup action is Jeannie Bouchard wasn't there, but it's looking more and more like uh, the best player we have right now on the women's side in Canadian tennis is Bianca Andreescu. Um, if we thought it was kind of a miracle run to start in Auckland, uh, Bianca just keeps backing herself up with more terrific play. She's played 20 matches now in 2019 and has won 18 of them the ranking is number 70 and I, I'm so impressed that we could have a team environment in Fed Cup where we essentially have teenagers leading the reins yeah it's the kids who are taking care of it between uh, Dennis and, and Felix who are 19 and, and 18 uh, respectively Bianca who's just 18 years old and and even Frankie Abanda who feels like she's been around longer only turned 22 last week so you know she's just barely out of those teenage years these young kids essentially are are learning on the job and they're learning, uh, you know, by virtue of there's, there's no one else to, to put in there necessarily with some of the guys who were missing. And on the female side, Jeannie wasn't there either. And and it just happens. These, these young ones are the, the best that we also have available here. So the fantastic results for them, confidence building uh, for Bianca. I mean, as you, as you mentioned, she's had such a, uh, a torrid start to 2019. This isn't like a fluky one event where she got hot. She's really proven that she belongs inside the top 100, and she's really playing to me like more of a top 30 type of player on the WTA at the moment. And and all these victories and all these uh, wins in different formats, 
is going to do nothing but give her more confidence which, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to face her moving forward in the next few events that she decides to uh, to enter. No, not at all. And I've been looking at those two losses, really, that she's had this season. The one was the final to Julia Gerges and then losing to Sevastova at the Australian Open. Those are two solid top 20 players. And again, she pushed them three sets. And it was very interesting uh, with her interview with Tom Tebbett of Tennis Canada that she says right now she's feeling like she can not only compete, but she just has that feeling on when she's stepping on the tennis court that she can beat anyone and what I wonder now is I look back to the run from Denis Shapovalov from 2017 where it really really began a Rogers Cup where he he came onto the scene reaching that semifinal beating Rafael Nadal and your life really completely changes and for Bianca to start 2019 she's now earned over $125,000 in prize money and we're still only in February how do you think she kind of manages that life change? What happens with expectations now that there are eyes on her, now that everybody knows about her, how she's going to handle the travel, all these tournaments, you know, staying away from home longer. That's what I'm curious to see, how she can cope with all of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to imagine myself at 18 years old if I had that kind of money. You know, I was I was driving around a 1987 Honda Civic hatchback <laughs> when I was 18 and my goodness, I don't know how long it took me to collectively make that kind of money over the years. But, um, you know, as we've talked about with Dennis over the last year or so, I think what's really important is that she's got the right people around her. And Tennis Canada uh, has got to be good, and they have been good so far, about managing these young talents. And with so many of them, uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's crucial that they've got, you know, veteran leadership on both the male and the female sides, and hopefully older players that are that are willing to help out that they've got solid coaches in place and uh, and as well for Bianca you know she comes from a solid family her parents are very involved very much a presence in her life uh, and that's important and uh, and you know even over uh, the course of the first couple of events she played this year we saw that uh, it was Virginie Tremblay who's uh, more of an athletic therapist for for Team Canada but kind of served the role as as coach for her too in those two events and there seemed to be a really positive vibe uh, and mentorship going on there as well. So I think you surround them with, with the right people. Uh, you trust that they've got, uh, you know, solid family and, and friend base as well. And and so far, she seems to be really handling it in stride. And it'll be interesting to see as the, you know, successes potentially continue, if she's able to block out those distractions, focus on the tennis. And, and it would be understandable, obviously, if there's going to be some some ups and downs. But a very encouraging start from uh, from our young players this year, both internationally uh, and in their regular tour events. No kidding. And I think we do have to be prepared for the ultimate setbacks, if you can call them that, where we have scenarios where she, she's going to arrive to a few tournaments and, and lose an exit early. If you have a couple first and second round losses, that's going to happen to pretty much every young player. Um, so there, there's no reason to believe Andreescu won't have her highs and lows. But right now it is absolute peak Bianca with 18 wins and 20 matches for the season. Francoise Abanda, who you alluded to earlier, uh, she got the other singles rubber win. And I was just thinking of how difficult a 2018 it was for her. And not only to just get a win for Canada here uh, against the Netherlands on the clay, but that has to just be a nice confidence booster for herself to, to notch a match victory after going through that tough 2018. And I keep having to remind myself, she's still only 22 years old. Yeah, Frankie had a very difficult 2018, and she's admitted that herself. I spoke with her just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, by the way, she did mention she'd love to come on the South Boss Slice at some point, so we'll have to make a note of that. Yeah. Um, but 
But I think, you know, she, she admitted on the court was difficult last year, some injury problems uh, at Fed Cup last year against Ukraine. She was all ready to go warm-ups and then sustained a, a freak kind of uh, concussion in warm-up. And that kind of led to uh, a downward spiral of her season, uh, you know, clay court season. And then she wasn't really able to get back on track. There were some off-court uh, distractions as well that she admitted she's learned a lesson from in terms of what she posts on social media and just being a little bit more guarded and cautious with uh, with what she says. And uh, I, I think this this victory kind of brings things, brings things sorry full circle, having a Fed Cup success as opposed to last year's Fed Cup uh, miss due to injury that uh, kind of started her whole uh, downward trajectory. So you know she, her ranking is is just outside the top 200 in the world. Her career high was 111 back in October of 2017. Uh, she skipped the whole first part of the season in Australia, didn't even bother trying to qualify at that Grand Slam because she wants to get back to grinding at the challenger level, which I think is really smart in order to set herself up to make those ranking gains and get those match wins under her belt. Yeah, I think that's where we're going to definitely see her for the next couple months, grinding it out on the ITF circuit, seeing if she can uh, accumulate some points, accrue some points and get that ranking first inside the top 200 and build from there before you get worried about uh, trying to qualify for Grand Slams. But uh, as you uh, pointed out, she has been uh, to top 111 in the world and she's still just 22 years old, nice and young. Rebecca Marino and Gabriela Dabrowski, they got the bonus rubber after Canada had wrapped everything up and won it as well which is great to see interesting i'm kind of viewing rebecca marino as maybe the veteran of this team and while she might not be the presence that's going to guide canada in terms of match wins when we're talking about fed cup i I hope her presence uh, on the sidelines can be important to this team as well which i think it can be yeah, I was almost a bit surprised that they didn't choose her as the number two singles player because Abanda, you know, hasn't had the results of, of late necessarily. And Marino had a very strong 2018. I mean, if you think about it, if Abanda hadn't come through with that, that singles win, things could have turned out a lot differently. There might have been a bunch of questions about how we picked our, our players, but it, it worked out well. And I think, uh, you know, Marino, I kind of see her, I guess, as like a sort of like a utility player on your, your fantasy sports roster where you can kind of slot her in anywhere, whether it be singles or doubles if needed. And I think even though she's been away from the game for a while, she, she does just by virtue of her age on the Canadian team, make her the, the veteran along with, I guess, Gabby Dabrowski. And I could see her coming in clutch in the future, depending on injuries and who decides to, to show up and play, but uh, worked out for Canada and, and nice to know that we've got that, that depth now that again, didn't necessarily have uh, in in the past. That's right. Depth on the women's side and depth on the med side. I wonder if that decision maybe playing Francois Sabanda on that second rubber had to do with the surface. I know a couple of her ITF titles have been on clay and uh, she's been to the second round of the French Open. So maybe that's just a bit more comfort level on that clay court surface for Abanda. Maybe that's why they went that direction. Of course, it worked out perfectly and uh, Canada winning every single match they played. Now the mega challenge that lies ahead uh, the upcoming matchup is the World Group Playoffs, of course, in April. And you're slated to face the Czech Republic, who is the defending champion. <laughs> and this team is just an absolute powerhouse when I'm looking at it. Karolina Pliskova, Petra Kvitova are your singles player. That is scary enough. And then you add Barbara Stritskova, uh, Katarina Siniakova. These, this is just a fantastic team. Yeah, I take back what I said about our depth that you just mentioned, all those players, because... <laughs> That is that is next level, and uh, you know you go from the high of winning, and and rightly so, 
to um, now realizing, oh, my goodness, of all the teams we have to play, of all the countries we have to face in April, it's the Czech Republic. And these guys, I mean, I'm looking down the list of, of recent uh, Fed Cup wins. Not only did the Czechs win it last year, but they've won six times 2011. So, so much experience at the uh, international level. Uh, really the last country that, that anyone would want to face in a world group playoff. But, you know, we'll come in as the underdogs, and, and I think that uh, gives us maybe a little bit of an edge. Who knows who's going to come out to play for the Czechs in that tie so we can, you know, cross our fingers that perhaps uh, some of the big names might be uh, distracted with uh, other scheduling commitments or, or depending on how they're feeling. Uh, but it really is going to be kind of like a David and Goliath matchup, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And uh, look, Romania did get a 3-2 win over Czech Republic this past week, but uh, bear in mind, Petra Kvitova was not there. And Romania, of course, can use Simona Halep in two rubbers, a luxury that Canada obviously doesn't have. But uh, certainly a great opening maybe presents itself if either Pliskova or Petra Kvitova cannot play in singles. And I think maybe the X factor here for Canada is to not only be able to run out Bianca Andreescu in singles, but have the option of Jeannie Bouchard. And We'll see if she's playing uh, up to her best level, which she's been showing flashes of late 2017 and early parts of 2018, too, I want to say. Yeah, and that was last year where Jeannie Bouchard really, I feel like, got things back on track, don't you think, when she played Fed Cup for Canada and came in clutch in those those two victories? Yeah, I think that was a huge motivating factor uh, just uh, in terms of delivering on, on the team stage, basically closing out that victory for them. So I, I think that that's an area where she would have an opportunity to thrive. She wants to play in those big matches. And while things maybe haven't gone her way uh, so much over the past few years, at least given yourself an opportunity, especially in a scenario, I think, where the you are the underdog going against the Czech Republic, people aren't going to expect Team Canada to win this Fed Cup playoff match, so maybe with the pressure off, uh, more chances of success for Jeannie. Yeah, let's hope so. And it's funny because just as I was surprised that she chose to play Fed Cup a year ago, I was a little bit surprised she she didn't show up this year. Uh, I'm guessing that's more a um, a result of her wanting to bump that ranking up even higher and get some matches under her belt. Although it didn't quite work out this week for her, unfortunately, in uh, in Qatar now, did it? No, it did not. Uh, Qatar opened the Premier 5, which is happening this week. And this is part of uh, the issue of her ranking, which is uh, 80th in the world right now, that when you're heading to a Premier 5, if that's your ranking, you have to go through qualifying. And she lost to Madison Brangle, who's, uh, you know, no slouch, a former top 40 player. So that's not a great result for Jeannie there, uh, but just a sign that she has to work her way back, hopefully inside the top 70, 60. And if I were to place a goal maybe for her season, it would be getting inside that top 50 range if possible. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's realistic. And I think that's a, a measured goal as well, which is important. And, you know, even though she lost, it was a three-set uh, match in qualities. And she's still got a positive record this year, five wins and three losses. And so I think, you know, in comparison to, to recent years, um, this is already a, a step in the right direction for Jeannie Bouchard. Yeah, I would think so. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ben Lewis. That's Mike McIntyre. Uh, Mike, before we shift over to the men's side and what's going on on the ATP, we had a very surprising bit of news on the women's side uh, coming down over the last 24 hours, a coaching split. And look, these happen all the time, but it's 
a little rare when you have a world number one who's the winner of the last two Grand Slam titles in Naomi Osaka suddenly parting ways with her coach Sasha Bajan, uh, who she's had so much success with. I was uh, pretty stunned. Yeah, you, me, and I think the tennis world at large. I mean, I took about 24, 48 hours off from Twitter. I come back last night, and I missed it by about 10 hours. I'm like, what just happened here? you got to be kidding me. And and when you read the tweet that Osaka sent out, it was very, like, short and to the point, and I'm not going to debate what possibly is, is really behind it, but it, it didn't seem to me like it was on the best of terms, and a lot of people pointed out how the two have mutually unfollowed on social media too, which doesn't really add up to me because on the court and, and together, uh, you know, they seem to be just clicking so well. The, the two slams, the world number one, as you mentioned, making the WTA finals last year. Um, I mean, the only thing I, I can think of perhaps, uh, you know, that, that comes to me, for, you know, off the top of my head is, is perhaps he wanted some more money after the, the incredible success that the two have had together and, and maybe the, the, the demand was just too much, but who knows? I don't know if we'll ever find out. Uh, he's, he's certainly coached some fantastic players or, or I should say be, been a hitting partner slash advisor to a lot of players. He certainly thrived in the coaching role as he won the WTA's first ever coach of the award in 2018. Uh, he's going to be snapped up real quick. And, um, and for Naomi Osaka, hopefully she's able to uh, continue and have success with whoever she chooses whether it's to go alone or, or find someone else. But this is definitely one of the big mysteries so far of 2019. Uh, what really happened here to cause these two to, to decide to, to go separate ways? Yeah, Osaka just simply had such a meteoric rise. And this was all under the guidance of Sasha Bajan uh, that she jumped 72 spots in the rankings and up to world number one. I did read, and this was purely speculation from Japanese media, that uh a few were speculating that they weren't agreeing on some of his coaching ideas late towards the end of the Australian Open last month, but that is purely speculation and something we can't confirm. But if that had something to do with it, if money had something to do with it when you were coaching uh, now the world number one player, uh, you know, she certainly would have a lot more in the bank than when she was world uh, number 73. So there are a lot of variables at play that I, I don't think we're ever going to know the reason. Uh, but I, I want to say, I don't think they mutually parted ways. I think this was a decision for Naomi Osaka, and normally it is a player decision, especially when the player is being so successful uh, to split with their coach. Yeah, and it, it, like you said, uh, you know, usually you see these coaching splits when things aren't going well and you have a sustained period of, uh, of losses, and it's the absolute opposite here. So just even even more of a head-scratcher in that sense. Yeah, certainly quite uh, confounding. We'll see if she makes a, a, a coaching addition. But for Naomi, I don't think there will be any rush. Uh, we'll go to the men's side. And uh, last time we were talking about Denis Shapovalov, he was uh, delivering for Canada on the team stage. Him and Milos Raonic are both in Rotterdam at the Amro 500 event. And Denis Shapovalov kicked things off with a nice, tidy straight sets win over Frankie Skugor. And and he lost maybe earlier than we would have liked to see in Montpellier the previous week, falling to uh, Frenchman Pierre Hughes-Herbert. Uh, but as we as we highlighted the previous week with Rashmadani so beautifully, he played so exceptionally well for Team Canada. It's hard to measure where we place Shapovalov on the landscape when he enters these ATP 500 events. Uh, but we know his goal for the year is to win a tournament. So it's nice to see him sort of taking care of business first round against a player he should beat. Yeah, and in that last event, I mean, he lost to uh, Herbert from France, who ended up making it all the way to the 
the finals. So perhaps that takes a little bit of a sting off it when you know the guy you lost to had a deep run and was playing some really good ball and, and beating some other good players. Um, but yeah, I mean, at some point, Chapel's going to come through with a, a tournament victory. I, I feel a level 250 is probably the most likely place for that to happen. Uh, he's got his opening round win uh, at the ABN AMRO, and his next opponent now is going to be uh, veteran Thomas Burdick, and, and that should be a really good matchup. Uh, the two have a one-and-one head-to-head with Chapel winning on clay last year, Burdick winning on grass at Queen's Club in 2017. So this will be their first time playing on, on hard court. I'm expecting a, a third three-set match as they have in their previous couple of, of matches. The only thing I think that's going against Shapovala perhaps for this one is the fact that Thomas Burdick has been playing some really great and resurgent tennis this year. Yeah, he's been uh, fantastic. And I think we talked about it the previous year was one of those veteran names sort of uh, pushing the age of now 33 that we thought was certainly on the decline and maybe would be leaving the game over the next one or two years. And he just started off 2019 with a bang in Doha, reaching the finals there and having a couple great wins. I remember remember him beating uh, Verdasco in a great three-setter. He did well at the Australian Open until he ran into Rafael Nadal, reached the round of 16. Uh, so he's really played a, a excellent 2019 seems to be right back in form and of course he's been a you know former top five player uh Wimbledon finalist I don't know that he's at that level anymore but certainly a a scary proposition for Denis Shapovalov to have to play in his second match maybe equally scary uh Milos Raonic what he'll have to face in his second round this is his first event uh since the Australian Open and he had a great Aussie Open reaching the quarterfinals and uh he kicked things off in Rotterdam with the straight sets win over Philippe Kohlschreiber and yet again it is Stan Wawrinka just waiting for him in the second round yeah, Milos is not getting easy draws this year, the poor guy. And and a face of Rinka in the second round, just as he did at the Aussie Open. Uh, I mean, in that case, it's really a, a coin flip because these guys are so close, as evidenced by their four tie breaks uh, in Melbourne earlier this year. Uh, Vavrinka has the 4-3 lead in their previous uh, matches, but Ronich has won three straight. That bodes well. But, you know, every time I feel like I get excited about something like, hey, a potential Ronich versus... Shapovalov uh, quarterfinal, you know, where, where you get two Canadians that could meet or, or where you're like, oh, look, Federer and Nadal could meet up or Djokovic. And it just, you know, too many times I get my, my heart broken, as many fans do. So I'm, I'm going to try and keep expectations reasonable. It would be cool to see Canada's top two guns uh, face off against one another, although I, I never really know who to sort of lean for. And I think a lot of Canadian tennis fans may, may share that sentiment. But uh, for the time being, let's enjoy these two fantastic second-round matchups between uh, Milos and Stan and and Burdick and Shapovalov. Yeah, let's uh, let's absolutely enjoy them. Credit to Milos because uh, we we kind of called his uh, draw the draw of death, really, at the Australian Open <laughs> when he was entering that first Grand Slam, and he got his way through that first week so brilliantly in reaching the quarterfinals. So that was impressive. I feel like he is playing uh, some of his best tennis right now, and he looks healthy to me, which is great as well. There is a 250 event uh, at the New York Open. Couple Canadians playing there, including Peter Polanski and Braden Schnurr, who I know you have. Spoken spoken to uh, looks to have a good opportunity tonight as he plays his first round match. Yeah, we've got a couple of Canadians playing each other. In fact, uh, Braden Schnur, who I think uh, tennis fans here are, are certainly familiar with uh, the 24 year old. I don't want to say 24 year old. And, and he's going up against 19 year old wildcard Canadian wildcard, Jack Mingji Lee. And uh, that name might not be familiar to many. He's uh, played at the NCAA level and he won an NCAA uh, playoff in November 
to gain this wild card into the New York Open. So it would be a first ATP win for either of these players. And when I spoke with Braden uh, back in, I believe it was January, he said of his goals for this year, one was to get a seed at Wimbledon qualifying because he's really keen on playing on grass with his game. The second was to uh, win an ATP challenger. He just lost in the finals of a challenger recently in Newport Beach. So that almost got realized. And uh, his third goal was to win his first ATP main draw match. And you got to think that this is uh, as good a shot as ever uh, that he's going to get against a, an inexperienced younger player. So Braden Schneer off to a good start as well. Add his name to the list of Canadian players that uh, obviously whatever work they were doing in the offseason, it seems to be paying off and, and giving dividends early on this year. Yeah. And this is, uh, as you said, just a perfect opportunity. A lot of Americans in the draw in New York, as is per usual. Kevin Anderson had to withdraw. He won it last year, but John Isner is your number one seed there. And number two seed, Francis Tiafo playing his first event since his great run in Australia. I will also mention that uh, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime was playing the clay court swing and lost in the first round of the Argentina Open to Christian Guerin in a tough three-set match. But it's great to see. feels like the Canadians are playing everywhere right now, and if they're not playing in a main draw, they're trying to get their way into one. Yeah, and, and that's wonderful. And and the fact, you know, just I want to touch on the fact that Felix is, is back to playing on clay. I really like this because I think long-term and maybe selfishly for, for Davis Cup fans, it's great that we're going to have someone that's very comfortable on that surface. You can't say the same about Milos. Even though Dennis made the semis in Madrid last year, I don't think we can really call him a clay court guy. So it's it's nice to see Felix trying to hone those skills, which is going to give us more overall depth here uh, on our international scene. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the next stop for him, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is the Rio Open, yet another clay court event. That's where he's had uh, the bulk of his success. So we'll be watching uh, closely. I know you uh, will, Mike, and as will I. And a great win again by Team Canada to get through in Fed Cup for the women's side. That sets up a World Group playoff clash in April with the defending champion, Czech Republic team. Mike, thanks as always for joining me, and I will talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Talk to you soon, buddy. You've been listening to the Seth Paw Slice. We will catch you next time. Breathing, rest his head on a pillow made of concrete. Again.